You're listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, a podcast series brought to you by Aquaculture North America. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Hello and welcome to another episode of Salmon Farming Inside and Out. I'm Marilyn de Guzman. And I'm Ian Roberts. Ian, this is our eighth episode and we've had some very interesting and inspiring guests who have shared their experiences and expertise in the area of salmon farming. I want to ask you, what has been some of the biggest takeaway for you from those interviews? Yeah, it's, that's a good question, Marilyn. Well, We've had lots of fascinating guests that are extremely you know, wise on their subjects. And, and aside from me learning a lot, it's been the feedback that we've received, both you know, personal emails and on social media from mainly people involved in the sector just commenting on it. It's great to hear these experts just have you know, a half an hour to speak on their subject matter and, and they're learning things that perhaps would never be able to be communicated through, you know, regular media because it's just a couple of sentences. It's, it's kind of filtered through the media. So they've been really pleased hearing from the experts we've had on the episode so far speak to their expertise. And well, today we're, you know, talking to two experts and subject matter experts as well. So, uh, so more of the same, it's, it's been a good ride so far. Yeah, for me too, it's always, I've always been amazed about the professionalism and passion of the people that work in the, in the sector. I've always seen that since I've been covering and writing uh, stories about the aquaculture sector. So for this episode, Ian, we're going to be presenting two perspectives talking about their careers in aquaculture, two ladies from different generations and from different coasts of Canada. Why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, I will. And and first, I should say, you know, being as we're talking to these two individuals that actually do the work, that actually raise the fish and are out there in the elements, we're going to talk about that today. Um, I should say, if if you think you hear my stomach grumbling, Marilyn, through this introduction, it, it's not my stomach. It is actually uh, a thunderstorm in the background. We're we're recording this mid September. I'm on the east coast of Canada, and it's hurricane season. So we have Hurricane Lee coming at us, and I think this is the start of the storm that I'm hearing. And, and it makes me think, you know, given that that storm is kind of heading straight for the Bay of Fundy, where there is uh, a number of salmon farms and salmon farmers, boy, do I have appreciation for these people that are working out on the farms daily, producing food. Um, you know, if it's not summer storms, it's winter storms, it's ice it's uh, hot temperatures. It's it's just we owe a lot, not just to salmon farmers, but to farmers across this country that work in all conditions every day and long days. And uh, and yeah, today we get to speak to two of them. Um, yeah. So yeah, let me let me introduce uh, the two. First, um, I'll introduce Robin Muzzarell. Robin Muzzarell grew up on a rural acreage in New Brunswick and was involved from a young age in the growing and harvesting of farmed and wild food, sparking an interest in biology, animal production, animal care, and the care of the environment. Over the next 36 years, Robin has taken on various freshwater hatchery and broodstock management positions, always involved in production and always with a hands-on approach. Her career has included growing salmon on the Atlantic and the Pacific coasts, and producing Arctic char in the Yukon. Robin's far-reaching career now has come full circle. She's back in New Brunswick working as freshwater production manager for Kelly Cove Salmon, a division of Cook Aquaculture. 
And from the other coast, we'd like to welcome uh, Kirsten Hallberg. She's the environmental specialist at Greek Seafood in British Columbia. Kirsten graduated from the University of Victoria with a degree in marine biology and oceanography. In 2019, she began her career in aquaculture as a technician on a seasite. From there, she progressed to assistant manager before settling into her current role of environmental specialist in 2020. Her focus is on monitoring the environmental conditions within farming regions and implementing mitigation strategies to defend against harmful events such as algae blooms and natural low oxygen events. Uh, she works very hard to ensure the health of the fish, the environment, uh, all contribute to the success of the operation. So two great guests that I am looking forward to talking to today, Marilyn. Great. Well, let's welcome our guests now and uh, let's get on to the conversation. Welcome, Robin. So let's start our conversation with just uh, providing a brief overview of why and how you pursued a career in aquaculture. Okay. I was always interested in producing animals. I grew up in rural New Brunswick and wanted knew I wanted to have a path in some sort of animal production or biology. My degree was in biology. Uh, and at the time I was finishing up my bachelor degree, uh, the aquaculture industry was growing and there was an opportunity to start working at a hatchery, uh, an Atlantic salmon hatchery nearby. And I took that thinking that I would work for a year or two and carry on then with my education and, and go down some pathway uh, in the science field. And I've stayed in aquaculture ever since. Yeah, and it's a long career it's been. So welcome, Kirsten. Speaking to um, how you got involved in the business and, and why you pursued a career in aquaculture. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned in the intro, I began my career in aquaculture in 2019 as a technician on a sea site. Um, I have to say I kind of stumbled my way into this industry. Um, as a recent university graduate, I was really eager to start working and was looking through all online job postings that were related to my degree. Um, and I actually found a posting for a site technician. I finished my exams at 9 p.m. on a Saturday. And by 8 a.m. Monday morning, I was on my way to a seaside. <laughs> I spent eight months working uh, on a seaside as a site technician uh, before I progressed into the role of assistant manager at that site. Um, and I spent some time in that role before settling in my current role as environmental specialist in 2020. Since then, I've been working in the environmental monitoring department and loving every minute of it. So, Kristen, in the beginning of your career, how do you see the sector evolving over the next 30 years? I know that the industry in 30 years is going to be unrecognizable compared to what it's like right now. The rate of change that I've experienced uh, in salmon farming is like no other industry. There's a constant improvement, technological advancements. Um, you know, I've been here for over four years now, and even the amount of change in this short period of time has been incredible. There's this big shift towards automation of systems, like she mentioned, everything from feeding to environmental monitoring, fish health, welfare, everything that you can think of. Um, the one thing that I do really like about this industry is that there never seems to be complete satisfaction with the advancements. Um, and what I mean by that is that there's just a constant, how can we improve mentality? that everybody is working towards. 
Lovely. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, Robin, you know, you're you're a good one to ask here because from your point of view, I mean, how has salmon farming evolved through those years? And and you've been in the profession a long time. What's been the most significant kind of evolution or development in salmon aquaculture that you've seen? It has changed a lot in the thirty some years. The in the early days, it was very much a physical job not that it's not physical today but it, the focus was very much uh, physical just get out get the job done uh the, there were a lot of small farms small hatcheries family farms and the big evolution is that science and technology have really become the forefront of the industry uh, whereas in the past it, like i said it was much more uh physical and low-tech and now I would say we're very high-tech in much of what we do, uh, whether it's at the hatcheries with recirculation facilities, on the marine sites with feeding systems, and, and some of the new developments uh, with different technology for growing fish offshore. So it's, it's huge. It's, I'm still amazed, and I think that's what makes it still exciting, is it has changed so much in so many years and it's still growing and it's still developing and there's still so much to learn. That's a great point, you know, how it has evolved. And I guess the, the follow-up question to that would be, you know, Kristen, what are the other types of positions that are available now in salmon farming that support your role? Pretty much almost every single position that you could imagine is some aspect uh, of salmon farming. So, you know, what comes to mind initially is, you know, people think about like the the site technicians, the people that are working on site, um, those ones that are spending the time out there or in the hatchery as well. I don't want to be just specific to sites, but um, the ones that are growing the fish, like hands-on, they're feeding them, they're you know collecting the mortalities, they're reading through everything. Um, the supporting roles that go into the industry, it's an, it's incredible. You know, I mentioned like we have our department here, which is the Fish Health and Environmental Monitoring Department um, that consists of some more science-based roles, but everything from um, veterinarians, uh, fish health coordinators, treatment specialists, uh, environmental specialists, such as myself. I work very closely with this department and with the staff on the sea sites. There's sales, there's harvesting, there's processing, there's, you know, operations departments. Um, you know, if you're, if you have a background in business, there's a spot for you. If you have a background, you know what, if you just want to do some heavy lifting, <laughs> there's a spot for you as well. You know, for young people, I think, that are considering a career in general, um, that they, you know, may not necessarily be, you know, a farmer or like interested in aquaculture, but then looking at things and hearing what you're saying, you know, there's other positions that um, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's just not farming. It's not just farming. It's all the the parallels and the the complementary um, um, positions that support the farming. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean that's my career path that I found. I, I started as a scuba diver, you know, at yeah. the, the bottom of the ocean, and uh, worked my way through the farms. Uh, did farming for fifteen years, and then into communications. Now I never had the desire to be a chemist or an accountant. That's for sure, um, nor the skills. Not just a desire, yeah. but uh, but yeah, you you get your foot in the door, and it really leads you to so many different paths that maybe you weren't even expecting, which is quite exciting, uh, and and not uncommon for people in the sector to to move through the sector and find new roles. 
Robin, um, on this, you know, you've had lots of experience, but can you talk about what is a good day at work, uh, you know, in aquaculture and what might be a challenging or, or we'll say bad day, but let's say challenging? I like this question. Uh, a good day at work, I guess I'm very much production oriented and, and process oriented. And for me, a good day at work is when we've, as a team, We've worked as a worked on a project, and I'll, I'll mention a couple of what those could be. And we've had success getting it done, and that could be maybe removing smolts, maybe responding fish, maybe we're receiving eggs, or or first feeding fish, or uh, starting up a new system that we've never started up before, uh, learning a new skill. So if we go in that day or that week saying this is what we're going to accomplish, and on that day that we execute that project we get it done we see the start we see the finish and that feels so good everyone's so jazzed up and 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 you know maybe there are some concerns oh maybe this isn't going to work and that's not going to work and and so we all pull together and and support each other and then we come out the other end at the end of the day and 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 you know literally high five at times and go okay we got that done and that's a good day um and we do have a lot of those and uh, uh, we try and it might be a little, it might be a small thing that we do. That's a, that makes it a good day, but we, we have to, to celebrate that kind of thing. A bad day. Um, certainly if, if there's a, a concern or something happens, you know, with where, where some of the people we're working with have a bad day for some other reason, uh, that, that can be a bad day. Uh, you know, some days everyone's in a funk or someone's in a funk and, and we try and rally together, hopefully, and support them. As a manager, sometimes you have days that, you know, you have to make some decisions that aren't so uh positive uh or they're difficult i guess would be the the thing and and so you go home maybe uh you, you you're apprehensive about the day and then when you go home you don't you're not so cheery you know you had to make some decisions but but uh so that can be a rough day but i think uh a big thing is a bad day and this is very current you know if we have a day which we've seen many of them lately uh some negative uh comments and reports about what we're doing in aquaculture and as a team we hear that we might hear it on the news it's something on the news whatever and that gets us all you know feeling kind of low or very low. Kristen? I am truly a glass half full kind of person um, so I try to see the bright side in everything for me there are no bad days don't get me wrong there are definitely challenging days um, <laughs> But I like to think of those as a learning opportunity um, and not so much a bad day. Uh, the thing that I love most about my role is that every day is completely different and no two days are alike. One day I can be in the lab analyzing samples. The next few days I can be staying on a site, taking measurements, conducting a study. Some days I even go into the office planning to have an office day, catch up on some samples, some emails. And then something comes up and all of a sudden I am in a truck driving to the site. So the diversity really helps keep every day exciting. Um, great days for me are any days that I get to spend in the farming regions. There's something about coastal British Columbia that is so incredibly special to me and it truly feels like home when I'm out there. You know, thinking back, 
Kirsten, on your shorter career, but kind of what has been some aha moments or, you know, eye-opening experiences or, or really impressive milestones that you perhaps have seen in the sector? Um, and, you know, we'll probably see more of these in the future, but what really comes to mind about some eye-opening wow moments uh, for you? I think the biggest eye-opening experience uh, for myself since joining this industry has just been how much thought, preparation, expertise goes into every single aspect of every single step of the chain. Everything from, you know, brood before we even have the eggs and all the way up to growth, to harvest, to to sale, even beyond that, to sales, to, to marketing as these fish are going to restaurants and stuff like that. Every step of the way, there are specialists working and everything is planned out years in advance. And it's, it's really incredible. I think the most eye-opening for me, I can go back to my early years thinking that there was one facility where I was working and we were making, we were changing out a bunch of tanks and, and uh, making some improvements and it was chaotic. It's like renovating your house. You know, it's, you know, nothing's where it's supposed to be and things are messy and people, you know, whatever. It's just, it's that sort of thing. So I remember thinking blindly that once we get this project done, then everything will go back to normal and we won't have to deal with this again. So the eye-opening part is that change is inevitable. And that's, I'm saying that in a positive way. Maybe at the time it felt negative, but now I, I, I embrace it. And what was eye-opening in aquaculture is that we are evolving quickly. And so when you have a facility, for instance, speaking for myself, you have to realize that things are going to change. At times, things are going to change and and uh, how to learn to embrace that. So that was an eye opening. Again, I came in young and naive enough thinking that, oh, everything just stays the same and nothing ever changes. And so it, that that's, you know, so that's what makes it exciting. So that was a big eye opener uh, for me, as I found. Robin, I would imagine in your career, you've done lots of hiring and uh, given people their opportunity in aquaculture and a lot of young people. So beyond the technical knowledge, uh, because a lot of people that we've interviewed on this podcast are biologists and, and experts in their field and receive that education. But beyond that, what are some of the soft skills that aquaculture professionals mm. should have so they can uh, thrive in this industry for 36 years? So when I started in the industry, I was a technician. It's great. And then a few years in was when I accepted a position as a manager. And like many of us who accepted those positions, especially early on, we became a manager because we were a good technician. So then we get into a position where we have no training, <laughs> how to how to be truly be a manager. We knew what the fish needed. We knew what needed to be done with the fish. We didn't really have a lot of training in how to uh, manage people and manage people's expectations and that sort of thing. So that, that was one thing. And I've, I've said this to many, I'll say students, I've said it to my kids, I've said it to, you know, young people working is that, you know, that's one thing that, uh, one of the many things people should look at is people management skills, even conflict resolution, learning how people think and work. And you don't have to spend years doing this, but uh, in studying, but you should have some knowledge of that and understanding that, we all don't communicate the same. So I may be communicating and thinking I'm communicating fine to you and you may not be receiving it in the way I intended. So having some understanding that 
that or vice versa and having some understanding that we think differently but maybe we're all working for the same goal so those those would be kind of the soft skills that uh, that I would say yeah building off that I would say the most important soft skill that you need to have to thrive in this industry is adaptability growing livestock in an unpredictable ocean environment uh, can be incredibly challenging at times and I know we're talking about planning and these things are planned years in advance but you can plan all you want and things will change and they will never go according to plan. So being able to be flexible and quick on your feet is, is a huge asset, um, you know, as well as communication and teamwork and problem solving, all of those tying in um, together. Everyone is working towards the same goal of growing happy, healthy fish. It's also the workplace environment because many of the uh, fish farms are in remote locations and some people they love that fact and some people you know they want to be in the city so that's that's a that's an interesting uh, point but you know if you love the outdoors um, that's that's going to be a big plus one of the things that have evolved as well is you know companies that are starting to implement initiatives around equity, um, equality, inclusion, diversity. As a female working in, in the business, what are what have been uh, your experiences in, in this uh, regard? I started in the industry when it was very much a male uh, dominant industry. And, you know, all the hatcheries, most of the, most of the staff were, were men, most of the marine sites were men. Um, there were on the East, I started in the East coast. There were very few there, uh, women who were in leadership roles. And, uh, in most cases, women were say on the, the temporary, they came in for vaccination, for shipping fish, that sort of thing. They were, that's kind of the culture was here. They, this would be their part-time job. And, uh, so when I started as a mid 20 year old female manager working for a company at the time who that had many many years of men being the managers you know it it was it I had to dig deep some days and uh, and even before that even as a technician so what I found is that as as a woman sometimes you had to put yourself out there a little bit more in your daily work and in some cases strangely enough is the guys uh, would often say, oh, I'll get that for you. And this was my experience. It was kind of neat. Is, is, is You'd be going to do something and the guys might say, oh, no, no, that's okay. I'll get that for you. So you might say, oh, okay, great. So you do that a few times and then, uh, you know, and then whatever. And then you'd realize that people would be going like, oh, yeah. Per-. And I've seen other people in this position where then people say, oh, well, yeah, but she can't do that. She never does it. I sort of lived that in an early stage. And as I became a manager, I saw that with some of the females who were working in in the industry, in the hatchery, and they might say, oh, well, I always get so-and-so to fix this piece of equipment. Can I get them to fix that today? And I said, I changed the narrative and I said, no, you can't, but I'm going to bring them here and they're going to show you how to fix it. And so that hopefully empowered them and and it's same with you know driving the forklift when i first started the guys all drove the forklift and the girls didn't then finally one of the day one girl came and said well why can't we drive the forklift i said there's no reason you can't drive the forklift let's get you trained you know so 
I even had to learn from how it was when I started to then when I became a manager, how do I empower women and not and and other people and people who might not put themselves forth to say, gee, I really want to learn how to do this. And some people just might not be comfortable putting themselves out there that I want to learn how to do this and I don't feel like I'm getting the opportunity. So I think that was a big learning event for me over time. And I must say that even though, yes, there it was maybe a little more difficult uh, for women in the earlier days, and it, there's a lot of women in the industry now, a lot of women in high-profile roles, uh, which is wonderful. The people I've worked with through the industry, even in the early days, there was a lot of respect. Once everybody got to used to work, used to working with each other, I had no problem, you know, talking to the contractors, to the tradespeople. They would ask me questions about the fish. I would ask them questions about the equipment. So I really am thankful and appreciative of of the people that I have worked with, even though. Uh, maybe the genders were different, but if we, if you put yourself uh, there and ask questions and talk respectfully, I think uh, th- that's where we were. Is we, uh, I can think back to many examples where, you know, a lot of people I just relied on and uh, worked very well with, and they relied on me for different things. So yeah, it's it was still overall a good experience. Kristen, uh, if you want to weigh in, uh, had there been some improvements there? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, there's definitely quite a bit of females in those, you know, more of those supporting roles. Um, like, don't get me wrong. We have lots of females on sites. We have sites where the entire crew of all technicians is all females. Um, we do see them from every step, you know, from the hatchery, the site technicians, all the way up to our managing directors here. You know, two of the managing directors of the big companies in British Columbia are females, um, so we do have quite a bit of representation throughout the whole chain. Um, you know, during my time on site, I was actually the only female on the uh, site management team, which was a very cool title to wear. Um, but you know, things are things are slowly changing. Um, I've had good experiences in this industry. I've never felt like my genders played a, a negative role in in you know in my movement or any of my positions. Robin, um, because we have different perspectives from the East Coast and the West Coast, and I'm interested to know as you sit around the dinner table and you talk to friends, you're at a party, what is kind of the, the top one or two questions that you receive about your business of salmon aquaculture on the East Coast of Canada? trying to think if there's one or two questions, but there definitely is a difference between the West Coast and the East Coast in questions in, in most cases. What I can say for being back on the East Coast is that many of the conversations are more about how we grow our fish and what do we do with it? You know, the interest in how we grow our fish and the interest in uh, where can you buy the fish? (laughs) And uh, I find the conversations much less controversial here on the East Coast than on the West Coast and less having to defend the industry and more being able to talk about how we are farmers and how we, me personally, I couldn't do something I didn't believe in. And so in some of the circles I'm in, in the areas I live, I'm, I'm living around other farmers, potato farmers, beef farmers, whatever. So we have a lot of common ground. So we'll be talking about, the, we, we'll have conversations about farming. 
and the challenges of farming. So uh, that may not be a question, but that's what I see the difference in. And uh, um, and being on the East Coast, which is you know smaller population-wise, people say, "Oh yeah, my cousin works for that company or does this or does that," you know that kind of thing. And so it is it is a big difference, and and it's a it's nice to be able to be comfortable enough with people um, and have those kind of positive questions or to be able to have honest, uh, you know, or open, uh, gee, had a bad day today, you know, we, whatever, something happened that we're, you know, you're not, you're not giving away any trade secrets, but just, you know, you can talk about to farmer to farmer. So that's what I find or food production. Yeah, and that's what I find the difference. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to hear. So, so Kirsten, is it the same for you? Um, I think it's no secret that British Columbia is divided on its feelings towards salmon farming. So, you know, in Campbell River, Campbell River is a really big hub here for for salmon farming. So, I would say the perception towards salmon farming is is more positive than say if you were downtown Vancouver. You know, a lot of the questions I get from friends or family when they keep talk about salmon farming is they mostly want to know, uh, you know, they've heard the the propaganda from the anti-salmon farming uh, protesters, et cetera. And they just want to know like, you know, is this true? Like what to believe? Like, okay, you're actually in the industry. So a lot of the questions I get are, are they killing the wild salmon? Are they covered in lice? Are they diseased? Are they, you know, and I'm, I'm very willing to have these conversations with people and like open discussions, but you do get those people who, you know, they kind of have their minds made up and they're not really willing to have discussions. And that's a little bit more challenging. Yeah. You, you know, the best thing you can do now is send them a link to the Salmon Farming Inside and Out podcast and tell them to listen to the last seven, eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. be a really good educational piece for them. Um, just as we're coming up to the end here, and, and again, if we have some young people listening to this podcast and looking at the potential of entering into salmon aquaculture for the next 30 years of, of their career, what advice would you give them about entering into the workforce? You know, what should they be doing in year one, year two to, to get where they want to go? What advice would you give them? Kirsten? I think building practical experience is so valuable. Um, I took some aquaculture courses before I, I joined the industry. Um, you know, there's only so much on the surface that you can learn in the classroom. And the best knowledge that I have had has come from hands-on opportunities. Um, so I would say spend time in different positions as well. Um, not only will it help you find your passion within the industry, but also it will give you that well-rounded knowledge of all aspects of the industry and the processes as a whole. Um, which will help you in whatever role you settle in down the road. Yeah, I think if people are interested, either they're in the industry now, they want to grow, or they're they're just trying it out, they want to try it out, like talk to somebody, you know, find a place to go. I already, I'll, I'll, the second generation, and maybe in some cases a third, but definitely the second generation's out there, you know, some of you know, my kids or one of my kids, I know some of my friends, their kids are in it now and they're not kids anymore. They're in their early twenties. So it's pretty amazing to see uh, that happen. Great. Thank you for joining us, Robin. And thank you, Kirsten, for being willing to come on the show and share your experience. And it's wonderful to hear, you know, the experiences from, from coast to coast in Canada 
and, uh, and, and it's appreciated by our listeners. So thank you to both of you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, brought to you by Aquaculture North America. If you have a comment on today's episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, connect with Aquaculture North America on Twitter or through our LinkedIn and Facebook pages. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. <music>